Are we okay? I'm not talking about us individually, actually, or as a church. I mean, as a culture, as a nation, are we okay? Let me read this little bit from John Stone Street in a Breakpoint Commentary. In her recent article at The Federalist, Molly Hemingway points to a headline in the sports blog Deadspin about San Diego Chargers quarterback Philip Rivers, whose wife is about to give birth to their seventh child. Unusual, perhaps in these days of family planning, but definitely not weird. Deadspin, however, over a video showing Rivers' intense reaction to a Chargers field goal, says... Philip Rivers is an intense weirdo. He's also about to have its seventh kid, the blog added snarkily. Haven't run into that word too much. There are going to be eight people with Rivers' DNA running around in this world. And precisely what does the fact that Rivers will have seven little tributaries running around have to do with anything? But there's more here than just an irrational fear of people with lots of kids. And yes, Hemingway points out, with a little snark of her own, how intensely weird it is for an NFL player to be having his seventh kid, except that it isn't weird at all for an NFL player to have his seventh kid. It's only weird for an NFL player to have seven kids with his one wife. Most of our sports heroes are, well, let's face it, immoral they're users and abusers of women. I, I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just the truth. And we hardly need to talk about the average singing sensation, actor or actress, many of them willing to do anything in their lust for fame. And then there's our political leaders. Let's not even get started with them. <laughs> oh. Morality in America is falling apart. Okay. When he first released the Index of Leading Cultural Indicators, Dr. William J. Bennett, former U.S. Secretary of Education, described the mess we have created for ourselves. Here are a few of the statistics presented comparing our welfare in 2003, when he released this, and 1963. In only 40 years, violent crime increased over 500%. Illegitimate births increased 400%. Divorces increased 400%. Children living in single-parent homes increased 300%. Child abuse increased 340% since 1976 to 2003. Teenage suicide increased 200%. SAT scores dropped almost 80 points despite huge increases in government support of education. Dr. Bennett has updated that list since 2003 and, as you've probably guessed, the numbers get worse and worse. What happened to the wonderful life we used to live in America? Can't the world just get back to normal? There's no way to soften this truth. This is normal. People talk about how bloody the world was in the 20th century. I looked it up for you. Direct deaths in just the major conflicts are estimated to have been from 68 to 167 million. The additional death toll from the two major communist regimes carries estimates between 57 and 139 million. 
The various genocides are believed to have resulted in 10 to 41 million more deaths. This is all one century. The direct human-caused death toll in the 20th century was somewhere between 135 million and 347 million, according to these people. They also estimate that it's somewhere between 5 and 20% of the world's population. The sad thing to note is, as bad as that is, the Mongol conquest of the 13th century alone, just that, resulted in the deaths of 17% of the human population in one century. And that only includes the direct deaths from the conflict, not the famines and the genocides and the things that followed. The CIA tells us that there are a minimum of 60 wars or conflicts happening on the face of the earth at any given time. And it's always been this way. Well, since that fateful day when 100% of the world's population fell into sin, the truth is that people are bent toward evil. The real problem is simple. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? This world will always be like this until Jesus returns. It will not change for us. And we do want to get to talking about us. Are we okay? We individually and we as the church. We don't want to be a part of the horrors of this world. We need to change. <laughs> we need to change ourselves, who we are, if we hope to be a part of the new normal, the new normal that will come. The new normal where love and caring are not just a hope, but a reality. All the time, with everyone. <laughs> Paul said... We have read recently, we are to stand together as one. Each in our uniqueness, because we are a body, the body of Christ, the church. Well, we. Of course, the letter was written to that church at which he spent so much time teaching. But, of course, it was written for us as well. So let's listen in as he talks to these people in Ephesus. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Don't walk, that is to say live, as Gentiles. Uh, Paul, they are Gentiles. <laughs> uh, there were so few Jews in that city when Paul first went there, they didn't even have a synagogue. The whole town had less than ten Jewish men in it. So the church was made up almost entirely of Gentiles. So what did they hear when he said, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, when they are Gentiles? Well, a little research gives us a fascinating truth. We have found that second century Christians, not many years after Paul wrote this, called themselves a new race. They recognized three races, Jews, Gentiles, and Christians. Ah, probably this thought was already strongly in place in the church. Jews were those who said they lived by the rules, but rejected the one who made the rules. <laughs> Gentiles were those who, in the depths of their sins, abused all the rules and caused all the conflicts and the genocides and the pain and the agony that the world suffered. The church, the Christians, were those attempting to show what is supposed to be normal in the world. We must not pass this introduction without noting Paul's intensity. He says, I say and testify in the Lord. 
Okay, this is very strong. This is an essential element of evangelical existence. If we miss this, we will end up walking as the Gentiles do. Okay, So maybe we'd better know what Gentiles are. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Darkened, alienated, ignorant of God in their hardness of heart. Sounds less than great. (laughs) And it is. Even their thinking is futile, pointless, useless, worthless. The claim here is straightforward. Life without God is ultimately meaningless. Have you noticed that every great civilization the world has ever produced has devolved into dust? There are no exceptions. Great starts, sometimes, but always returning to the normal that results in bloody wars and conflicts. True life, the real normal, comes only from God. Their understanding, those Gentiles, is darkened. In the ancient world, light equals understanding. And we still think that. You know, in cartoons, a guy gets it, the light bulb comes on above his head, right? In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's a bit different. Light is a life-giving relationship with God. They are alienated from the life of God because they are ignorant of God. And they are ignorant because they have hard hearts. Humans love their vices and they hate them all at the same time. And those vices always lead to futility. Does it really matter if we live or die? Does it really matter if anyone lives or dies? I've heard that. And they keep their hearts hard until they become calloused. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Callouses are fascinating. I love that story Max Licato tells from his childhood. His dad was a mechanic. Thick calluses protecting his hands from the hard labor he did all through the week. His dad was also a godly man and he brought his kids to church every Sunday. Max was usually made to sit right next to his dad because, well, he, he, could, he could get himself into trouble pretty quickly. <laughs> One day they are all sitting together and his dad is listening intently to the sermon, big hand relaxed, palm up across Max's little lap. Like I said, Max had to be kept still. Back then, churches normally had visitor packets in the back of their pews. Uh, pews are just padded benches for those of you who've never seen one. Anyway, that visitor packet was always had a brightly colored ribbon uh, with a pin attached to it so that uh, visitors and newcomers could attach it to their suit and then the, the people who were normally the regulars, they would know who to make sure they took an effort to greet. Well, Max had that visitor's packet in his hand with the pin and there were those thick calluses on his dad's hand. You see this coming, don't you? He had to know. How far could you poke that pin in before his dad would feel it? (laughs) He actually did this. This is a true story. 
Well, Max said he kept pushing it in further and further. He just couldn't believe it. Until finally his dad went and clenched his hand, pushing the pin in further. Max recalled that his dad wasn't the only one to feel pain that day. (laughs) But feeling pain or pleasure is the point. A person with uncalloused hands would have felt that pin immediately. Calluses on a hand, they can be a good thing. They keep you from feeling pain. and In fact, they protect your hands. But calluses on a heart, calluses on a person's soul, they can't get the feeling anymore, so they pursue sensuality, the pleasures of the senses. The human mind is twisted by idolatrous self-interest. They serve themselves these Gentiles. They become gods to themselves. And they end up calloused. It's called the hedonistic dilemma. In the pursuit of feelings, sensuality, above all else, they become calloused. They can't feel as well, so they have to do something to feel more, to push the pin through the callous. They become greedy for sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Our neighborhood gets a ton of kids for Halloween. And of course, we turn it into a little mission. This year, Becky made packets of goodies and I put in an artist's conception of Jesus with a little message, don't be afraid. And then I talked about that. We made over 200 of them this year, but but we were running out. So I've got this one nice packet of candy and a bowl with just the regular stuff. And this group of kids comes to the door. You know, it's me, so (laughs) it's a teaching moment. Hi, guys. I've got one packet of good stuff left and then this bowl. Who should we give the packet to? Well, one kid, probably eight or ten, he shoved all the others out of the way, including the little ones, and he says, give it to me, give it to me. (laughs) Well, of course, I gave it to the littlest one. (laughs) And I gave an admonition to our greedy little brother, But we all know it's not just little kids who push and shove to get what they want. How many adults have said, I don't want to become a Christian because I'd have to give up. I want the pleasure and I don't care if it makes my heart hard. I don't care that I have to work ever harder to get the same sensation. So they sell themselves to every kind of impurity, perversion. As Dr. Snodgrass said, we give ourselves to ourselves and end up controlled by our desires. They, these Gentiles, become corrupted. Your former manner of life was corrupt through deceitful desires. Because of these deceitful desires, desires that don't really produce what they promise, they deceive, some pleasure at first, but the callous is ever thickened. We, all human beings, Gentiles included, were created for intimacy with God. And we, every member of the human race, tries to get it elsewhere. Seeking for love in all the wrong places. And we corrupt 
our very souls, we pile on the calluses. Giving in to our desires, sin, never satisfies. It only pacifies. And only for a little while. Tom Wright said, Idols demand sacrifices. And when Gentiles make their desires their God, the cost is the sacrifice of themselves. We were created for relationship with God. We were never intended to be without Him. And then there's that good news. Did you catch it? Your former manner of life. Have you learned Christ? But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Paul has been gone from Ephesus for years, and maybe he was wondering, were there those in the church who did not know Christ? Right there? Nah, he wasn't wondering, he knew. <laughs> Remember, he had warned them about the wolves coming into their midst in sheep's clothing. So he knew. What about the churches of today? Could there be people sitting, listening to sermons all over America today, and yet seeking to satisfy their own desires instead of letting God take care of them? Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? That's the question we have to ask. If we do, our hearts need to change. Good news. If we do, our hearts will change. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If we are His, the Holy Spirit will begin His work of taking away our calluses. But that presents us with a question. How? <laughs> how do we change? And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Gentiles, the Holy Spirit said through Paul, are futile in their thinking. But those who believe have the spirit of their minds renewed. Sin is the cause of a corrupt mind. But sins, plural, the actions, are a result of a corrupt mind, even as they simultaneously cause ever thicker calluses. Those who are being renewed in their thinking know the Father chose us. Our adoption is through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him. So now we need to know how to change our behavior. First, recognize that it is important to change our behavior. How did Paul start this section? Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This is important. Sin is life for and with self. That's what being a Gentile is. But our minds are being renewed. And if we don't hate sin, absolutely, it's because we don't understand sin's horrific nature. Sin is a bad trade. That's why we're so happy to be, as we sometimes get to sing, we will today, trading our sorrows. 
Sin always leads to a calloused heart, which leads to deeper depravity to push through the callous. And that depravity leads to more pain, more sorrow. Whereas we are changing to have a gentler, more sensitive, living spirit. We want our minds renewed. So understand it's important. And step two, get taught. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He is all about Jesus. <laughs> Our salvation is by and through Jesus. We know he holds truth. We know he is truth. Learn of him. And then, step three, determine not to live as we did. Put off your old self and determine to live as we should. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Humanity was created the image of God, and we fell into sin. We're born in sin, we do sin, we are sinful. But Paul says it's okay. Don't worry about that past stuff. We are now recreated to be like God in righteousness, in holiness, not to have sin piled upon sin leading to ever thicker calluses. Rather, we are to be people being renewed in the spirit of our minds, getting step by step cleaned up from the mess we made of ourselves. I wonder, what's the next callus God wants to remove from your life, from mine? If God calls us, he will teach us to be like him. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. We will learn righteousness and holiness. But it won't be instantaneous. So be patient while we change. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We need to be eager to maintain our unity because, well, none of us is there yet. <laughs> and we still have some callous spots on our souls and we rub each other the wrong way. And if we aren't humble and gentle and patient as we bear with one another in love, it's not going to work. None of us is perfect in our humility, gentleness, and patience. So we are going to have to bear with one another as our calluses scrape against our brothers and sisters. They, those Gentiles, were ignorant of God, but now they have learned Christ. They were greedy to practice impurity, but now they are renewed in their spirits in true righteousness and holiness. Their old self and former manner of life were corrupt, but their new self is created after the likeness of God. Remember what Gentiles are, what we were. Make sure we have learned Christ. Know that our heart is changed. We must do the work of changing our behavior, recognizing its importance, getting taught of Jesus, <laughs> determining not to live as we did and determining to live as we should. 
Oh, and mostly, I think, we must be patient with one another while we change. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. One day, we will be perfectly righteous. We will be perfectly holy because Jesus will make us so. (laughs) But he gives us an opportunity to work out our own salvation, the sanctification process. We get to change. And it's a wonderful gift. And you'll have to excuse me while I change. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we're all too aware of our own shortcomings. Sometimes we think it could happen. Somebody could stand up on a chair or a table or a rooftop and start shouting out all the things we do wrong. (laughs) Like details. Ouch. We know you tend to keep us from that sort of thing. After all, your son died for those sins. And if you've called us, if you've chosen us, if the Holy Spirit has sealed us as yours, then we know all those sins are forgiven. The ones we have done and the ones we will do. So we pray that you will help us to remember that. We have been changed. Our minds have been changed. Help us to grow ever closer to you, through your Son, by your Spirit. Thank you, Father. Help us to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.